Welcome to the Captain Bagrat podcast, where we're on a mission to fight boring news about Asia and Australia. You know, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it with a finger on the Asian, well, Asianish pulse. As always, we're recording from downtown Chinatown with yours truly, the mythical Madam Chan and friends. Another episode of the Captain Bag Rag podcast, and today I've got Mia. Hey, Mia. Hey, Madam Chan. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> and um, that noise you can hear in the background is actually your dog. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's got a treat that he's coveting at the moment, <laughs> and he's got a beautiful name. His name is Anouk. Yes. And how, how? Why have you named him Anouk? Well, when I got him, um, he's he's from a shelter. He's about a year and a half, and he was quite pale at the time. So he's a bit of a ginger-colored dog now. Yeah. Um, um, and in the Inuit language, Anuk means polar bear. So he's like my little polar bear. He does look like a polar bear. <laughs> the, the, the way that he's uh, gnawing on that poor little... No, it's not an animal, everyone. It's just... <laughs> It's a doggy bicky. It is, yes. <laughs> and today, Mia, I've got you on to talk about your awesome Asian-ish heritage. So for those who can't see her, which one day you will, <laughs> uh, Mia comes from an India background. That's but, right. But yeah. you lived in Canada all your life. Yeah. And now you're in Australia. That's it. Yeah. yeah. After a wee little stint in London as well. Oh, wow. There you go. So you've got the east and west down pat. Got the Commonwealth covered. Oh, yeah, you got the Commonwealth covered, that's right. <laughs> Just a common person from the Commonwealth, you know. <laughs> and we're also going to talk a bit about um, health because that's your industry. That's right, yep. Excellent. So before we start, how about we give you a fast five? All right, let's go. All right, all right, excellent. Your favorite Asian cuisine? Ooh, Japanese, closely followed by Thai, I would say. Yes, excellent. Yeah. Oh, this is an obvious one. Cats or dogs? Uh, well, he's too close for me to say anything but dogs. <laughs> and then that sounds of slurping in the background. That's not us. That's Anouk. <laughs> that's really loud. <laughs> so loud. <laughs> the most amazing place you've been so far. Ooh, oh gosh. I've been to so many amazing places. Um, he's really thirsty. <laughs> it's a warm day though. So, you know, he's got to keep hydrated. <laughs> Um, I actually had an amazing experience in uh, Transylvania because I stayed with a Romanian family when I was there. So Dracula land. Yeah, Dracula land. Oh my God. So it was like um, being set back in time with, you know, sort of still having horse and buggy on the road. This is about 10 years ago now. Yeah. Um, so an amazing cultural experience and then staying with a local family as well really added to it. So that's been incredibly memorable. I didn't even realize that place existed. I thought it was always in um, those uh, books they are called. Uh, yeah, like vampire, vampire books. Yeah. yeah. No, and you can. They actually have a castle and you can go visit it and it's kind of spooky. So and... it's sort of based on a real story. Yeah, there's some history. I mean, it's not yeah. vampire specifically, but there is um, some deep history around that mythology. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that's pretty exciting. <laughs> got to yeah, check it out. Definitely. So you told us that you've been to Canada, UK, and Australia. So I'm not going to ask India because this question is regarding which country out of those serves the best Indian curry outside of India. Uh, well, you know, my mum lives in Canada. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to do a little shout out to my mum's curry because it is spectacular. But London has amazing curries. Wow, yeah, okay. that's one of the things that I really missed after leaving London um, and coming here was just the sort of authenticity of the curries there. They were just absolutely incredible. Okay, because it's a huge population. Because in UK, when they mention Asians, they actually refer to Indians and those coming from the Pakistani background as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things that actually 
moving between countries has confused me because some countries sort of mm. say Asian to mean specifically, I guess, Southeast Asia, yeah. um, and other areas call Asian to mean India and sort of the subcontinent as well. Yeah. You know, the term Oriental gets used in some places, yeah, right. so it's been trying to navigate that. It's been a bit of an interesting experience. And you're like, people stop confusing me. I'm <laughs> Asian, okay? <laughs> I don't know where I fit anymore. <laughs> well, Indian, technically. Yeah, that's well. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. And then your go-to TV series. Uh, well, I'm not a big watcher of mm. TV, and um, I guess some of the shows that I've loved sort of over recent years have been like Homeland, I really enjoyed, mm -hmm. um, and Newsroom, but I actually love an escapist comedy, and um, sort of after it was first released, I picked up Parks and Recreation, oh, and just burnt funny. through that, like it is just gold. <laughs> I love their awkward acting skills, it was like, you know, they, they, they give a joke and they have this deadpan face. And <laughs> yeah, and Ron's character of sort of taking down government from the inside, I think it's just... <laughs> like an awesome idea he's the best offer he's yeah. the best public servant you can have right <laughs> a libertarian anti-government <laughs> oh, so so on that note you don't actually work for the government i'm just like, getting it <laughs> no, out no i there. do not <laughs> so you work for an ngo that's yes. right i do yeah, yeah. and it's um but before we start talking about your job i think it'll be really interesting to let everyone know about your asian-ish heritage um yeah so like what's made you today and also how have you balanced the East and West. Yeah, look, I think um, as a first-generation Canadian, it's it's been a challenge through my entire life. And I grew up sort of in the, um, I guess, midway uh, in British Columbia. So that's about 900 kilometers north of Vancouver. So, you know, not a big place, um, very, I guess, isolated in some ways, but certainly we were one of the few Indian families there. So there was this constant sort of um, tension, really, between sort of, you know, the, the culture at home and then having friends who were yeah. predominantly Caucasian and sort of trying to fit into that culture. So, yeah, through my whole life, that's been challenging navigating it. Um, I think when I was younger, how that challenge displayed was probably wanting to push away from the culture a little bit. Yeah. I think that's pretty common as yeah, well. That's right, yeah. And then as, as you get older, you start embracing it and realizing that some tremendous values and, you know, sort of cultural norms and stuff that you really think are beautiful and, and want to adopt. So I think it's been quite a journey over time. I think so. And then there's a cultural bit. And then as part of that as well, there's being female. So, you mm. know, there's um, cultural norms around being sort of female and what you can do when you're female versus male, which is also something to navigate because that was a big difference um, between what would be commonplace in India versus, you know, what was mm. commonplace in Canada. So were you born in Canada? Yes. Okay. All yeah. Right. So, yeah. So you knew that you were always a little bit different um, being in British Columbia, but then you knew that you had this rich history uh, as well as uh, obviously living at home. Would, would you have spoken your mother's native language? Or? Yeah, for many years when we were young, mm. but over time we started speaking, we meaning me and my brother, yeah. um, started speaking English at home and my parents let us do that, which is fine. They'd speak Punjabi to us. So yeah. my ability to actually understand verbal Punjabi is really good. Mm -hmm. My ability to articulate is not so amazing. <laughs> so it's, it's something that to this day, I think only my mother really understands what I'm saying. <laughs> you have your own language. That's yeah. All matters. <laughs> yeah, we have a secret language. Let's just call it that. <laughs> okay. And then uh, have you ever been back to India to visit and to discover your heritage? Yeah, many times. When I was young, I actually lived there for a couple of years with my grandparents parents, my, you know, aunts and uncles. Yeah. Um, that was when I was really young, like four or five. Um, but since then, yeah, as a family, we've gone back a number of times. And then um, probably around 2000, 
six to eight, somewhere around there. I went with my ex-husband and we spent, you know, a good month traveling across a lot of India. So we went to, from the south um, all the way to the north to yeah. Punjab, which is where my parents were at the time yeah. um, because they were spending a bit of time in India as well. So we had quite a, an extensive trip through the country and that was amazing. Not only for me, um, sort of having that experience again as, as, you know, being a little bit older, yeah. but also then to, you know, take my then partner um, who's Caucasian sort of through this ah, land and, yeah, you know, sort of new experiences for him and yeah that was great sort of seeing the country as well through his eyes yeah no yeah. I've been to India um you know after I finished university because uh -huh. I studied Asian studies and I thought oh you know I, I was really intrigued by Indonesia India as well as Japan yeah. and so on this journey well my friend and I were like well let's just do six weeks in India and see what happens from all the Fabulous. way from south yeah. to north. So I think we may have been in the Punjab. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah. yeah, province. I think that's what they call province. We probably followed your footsteps years later. It wouldn't have been a very eventful footstep, but we would have liked a local, of course, to show us around. Yeah, yeah. it was beautiful, definitely. Yeah, it's an amazing country and it does sort of take you into, transport you into another world, yeah. really, because it is just so different and unique to places like, you know, um, Australia and Canada. Yeah. yeah. And what were some of the things that, you know, um, gave you that startle moment where like, oh my God, I never knew this about my heritage. And you just felt, oh, you know, that heartfelt moment. I think, uh, well, I didn't, yeah, the heartfelt moment I had was, um, we started off in the South and what mm. I probably noticed is the South is a little bit more dense. Um, mm. So there's a lot more people, the population's different. And the North, um, there's a lot of agriculture that mm. is in the North. So that also means open fields. And I'm I'm used to having a lot of space. I mean, you live in Canada and Australia, they're places that you don't generally have a lot of dense living. Mm. Um, so I, you know, I didn't kind of realize how much I like having my own space and sort of my own rhythm. And I felt like after a while in the South, I didn't have that anymore. And I remember getting to into Punjab and it was early morning and, you know, the fields were huge and they were covered in mist and there was this, this real sense of calm and serenity getting there. And yeah. I just kind of went oh my God, I feel like I'm at home, you know, like, in, yeah. So that was a moment where I just had this sort of real experience of, you know, the motherland as it were yeah. <laughs> and how and beautiful just, it can be. Yeah. And feeling at, you know, not a peace, but just, you know, a you have that serenity feeling, you know, it has a serenity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> That's right. Which a lot of Australian guys have when they're fishing, has a serenity. <laughs> I can, I can kind of understand that. <laughs> and then from there, um, you went to like the UK as well and, and Australia. So has that helped you shape who you are today now? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, I think every experience mm. helps shape who you are. Um, the Going to the UK was, you know, a few years out of university and just wanting a change and being independent, um, really on my own. I mean, I lived out of home anyways when I was mm. in Canada, but to really be out somewhere foreign, you know. You went halfway around the world to get away from your mother. <laughs> <laughs> and your father, sorry. Your and your mother, brother. Don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> I won't be sharing this with her now. But your curry is the best, okay? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You make up for it through your curry. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a sense of just rediscovering who I am independently and, um, mm. you know, that sense of strength that you get as a female when you travel and live by yourself and you're wholly independent on you. I think I've, I felt like I needed that. Yeah. Um, and so London was a good experience for really getting that. Yeah. And then also feeling from then I could go 
you know, kind of anywhere and I'd mm. be okay. So yeah. yeah, it was a real source of strength doing that trip. Yeah, UK would have been a good, I think, um, in-between spot between India and Canada because I think there's got a long history of having a lot of Indian communities. So yeah, it's it's a, it, it's it's part of the community. Yeah, yeah. more embedded. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like a lot of Australians that move to London, mm. like it's not, culturally, it's not a hard shift. I mean, no. it's, it is different. But, you know, it's not like you're moving to a country where they speak completely a different language, you know, so it's yeah. an easy transition. I don't know about the transition warm beer, though. Do they serve warm beer? Yeah. Oh, that's gross. Fortuitously, I'm not really much of a beer drinker, <laughs> so that was okay. <laughs> I didn't really, you know, sort of uh, have too much beer when I was there. <laughs> and then the Indian curry was a little bit better compared to British Columbia? Oh, or? the Indian curry in London's amazing. Yeah, definitely. So which were some of your favorite spots over there? Oh, gosh, there's so many. I mean, one of the things I did love about London, and I'm not saying this is my, because it sounds like I'm saying London isn't my favorite, but I love the proximity <laughs> to Europe, like mm. just the ability to hop on a plane and go two hours and be in a completely foreign place. France. Yeah. Um, but we also, uh, so my then partner um, and I did Hindi lessons um, when we were in London. And so we used to do a regular habit of doing a Hindi lesson. It was once a week. And then mm. we'd go with our, you know, sort of classmates yeah. to uh, um, a curry restaurant that was, you know, sort of, <laughs> yeah, 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 nearby. And so we'd have this sort of like Post very... language class. <laughs> exactly. So we'd have this kind of like rich in culture kind of night. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by lots of beers as well or curry A little beer, bit of beer. Yeah, we, yeah. You know, the thing that they serve in the pubs over it's there. It's pretty common. Yeah. Yeah. Because when someone told me, they're like, oh, yeah, in, in um, UK, you got curries in pubs and for 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 me because i grew up in australia all my life I'm like why would you have curry in a pub well that's changing though you get yeah. curries in pubs here yeah, yeah now you do but before it was always like you know fried chips and you know your true aussie kind of style yeah. barbecue uh, steaks and yeah. things like that so and look and i get that mm. i mean when i moved to um adelaide it was the first place i moved to in australia mm. and then there was no real sort of authentic indian restaurants <laughs> you know so i kind of get where australia's come a long way and some of the food here is absolutely incredible oh, now. freshness of vegetables yeah. And, and fruit, yeah, 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 and meat, of course, yeah, yeah, and cold beer, as you say, cold beer, yeah, love the cold beer <laughs> and the wine. Mm. <laughs> oh yeah. And then what made you decide to come to Australia? Oh well, my ex-husband oh, was okay, Australian, okay, okay. so okay. we met in London, and it was you know that that sort of journey of love, really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, natural selection, right? <laughs> Excellent. And and so from there, um, how did you fall into health? Did you study health in the UK or? Yeah, so I, did, I, well, I studied health back in Canada. Canada so, right. yeah, yeah, I did my um, undergraduate degree in Canada. Okay. Um, health was one of those areas that, you know, being Indian, you sort of get pushed into a Someone's couple growling of, and it's not us. <laughs> <laughs> you get encouraged, I should say, into a couple of different areas. Okay. Um, and one is, you know, being a doctor. So that was my parents' dream. And, um, oh, no, another yeah. Asian parent <laughs> thing where they want you to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I happen to be good at science. And so, yeah, that was kind of the path initially. I didn't do med school. I kind mm. of, you know, after a couple of years of doing pre-med, I sort of went, I'm not sure this is for me. Yeah. Um, so I actually did nursing for a number of reasons and, you know, sort of got my sort of feet wet in that clinical environment. Mm. Um, it was probably good that I did nursing because, one, it's it's a... Um, a degree, a qualification that you can go almost anywhere with. So getting jobs internationally, you know, there's, there's always demand. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, but also it gave me a sense of, you know, 
it tested out whether I wanted to be in a clinical environment and I realized for myself that wasn't for me. Mm. Um, but what I came to discover after sort of quite a number of years and doing sort of post-grad is that I do love health, but it's a business side of health that really intrigues me. So I'm still, I'm very happy to be in health. Yeah. Um, and I'm really lucky that I've found sort of the space in health that I'm really passionate about and I you know, love going to work every day. And, Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that you can go far because of the shut down in a well, way. you know, to the, yeah, the office yeah. in my house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and in between, I'll go to the kitchen, grab some snacks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Got to try to avoid doing too much of that. <laughs> yeah, because I think it, it's really nice that, you, you know, you, you took the dip in, but then you realise, oh, wait a second, I don't think being a doctor w- would be suited for my personality or for where I see myself in my career because, you know, that's something similar happened to me. My mother threw me into that sort of same scenario and um, I I did an internship with a dentist when I saw the sight of blood literally I had to walk out of the room because I was going to faint okay, right yeah, yeah that's a pretty good test right away <laughs> I think so yeah I think she finally got the idea yeah <laughs> I think a lot of Asian parents don't understand that you know it's not that easy to go yes you're going to be a doctor and that's exactly what you're going to do yeah look and I, I understand where they're coming from mm. I mean you know from my parents who shifted from India they sort of go you know there's careers like doctor lawyer mm. that are stable you make good money it's yeah. a good sort of you know place to be and and of course, they've given up a lot to move to Canada and they've done it all yeah. on the basis of providing children that they didn't even have at the time a better life. So yeah. I understand where they're coming from. But, um, you know, I think it's it's nice then to have the freedom to sort of test that, but then explore your own path and, and find your own way. Yeah. And it's good that it still worked out for you in the end that you really yeah. enjoyed the health aspect, didn't do with, you know, 180, flipped to something else, but looked into the business side. Yeah. Look, and I thought about mm. it and I thought about leaving health altogether. Mm. When I did my um, master's, I did a broad master's. So it was public mm. administration. I stayed away from health administration mm. because I didn't necessarily want to be pigeonholed into health. Um, but luckily I found, you know, I sort of thought about moving to another industry, but then the challenge of that is going right back down the rungs again. Yeah, um, that's true. Luckily it worked out for me because I actually found, like I said, that there was an area of health that I do absolutely love. So it's worked out well. Can you tell us more about this area? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the NGO that I work for does, um, basically what we do is help, um, healthcare professionals around implementing evidence-based medicine. So So we healthcare. Like ranging from... We do mostly uh, what's called primary healthcare, which is, you know, general practices and community services. Um, So a lot of work, particularly with GPs. um, And we do things like training programs, um, consultancy directly, you know, that sort of okay. thing. Yeah. 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 And you've helped um, a lot of business improve their systems. Um, Absolutely right. Yeah. And, and the good thing about what we do is that there's a lot of, um, all of it's based on data informed practice. Mm. So we've got a lot of, you know, quantifiable outcomes that show a difference from the work that we do. And of course, that's really rewarding when you sort of put a lot of effort. Yeah, and, that's right. You know, time, extra hours, weekends into that to sort of go, you know, it has literally made a difference and we can evidence that through some data as well so. so do you have a lot of data scientists as well working with you just to look at all the information um, we don't but okay. the we have a lot of um, expertise that goes into the design of the data sets oh, at the okay, beginning and then we sort of do a review process afterwards so we've got a lot of clinical advisors around us that support that sort okay. of work yeah yeah and um, look this is amazing because it, you don't find a lot of um, Asian Western uh, females who are at the top of the game. So without mentioning your role, so you're in the leadership team, so you uh, report straight to the board. So I guess we would know what you do now. (laughs) 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 If if you're in your like... um, 
you know, do you have any tips for younger women who are aspiring for something like a senior position? What are some of the takeaway take tips that you could give them? Yeah. yeah. One, I'd say back yourself. And mm. what I mean by that, like there's, a, there's research out there that sort of shows, you know, the difference between um, males and females mm. going for jobs where men sort of look at the list of essential, you know, uh, criteria and they sort of go, well, I've got 75, 80% of that covered. I could go for it. Mm. But women sort of want to make sure everything is ticked. Yes. You know, I'd say if you feel confident, you feel like you can do it, take the risk and put it in application. Like what's the worst that can mm. happen? So, you know, sort of go for those moments where, you know, you might be a little bit out of your depth, but you'll learn. Mm. Um, one of the the most sort of salient pieces of advice that my ex-husband gave me, so I'll do a little kudos to him for his <laughs> sound advice, um, but I was nervous about going for a job once, and he sort of said, you know, Mia, you're, you know, you make your resume look rosy. That's what, you know, everyone does. Mm. Um, the the company will make what their position description, what they're looking for, mm. a little bit rosier, and generally land somewhere in the middle. So go for it, you know, mm. don't worry about it. And, yeah. you know, as long as you've got a good fit and, you know, you obviously have competency mm. that passion will help and take you a long way as well so Aww, i guess that's you know, really supportive i know Aww. so lovely <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i'd say definitely back yourself and just apply even though you think you don't meet the criteria but you never know because sometimes um their perception of what they need as a person to fit that role will change as they interview people and realize oh maybe perhaps that lovely lady there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I've hired many people through my career and mm. obviously you want them to fill, you know, a reasonable number of the essential criteria. Mm. So if you don't meet it at all, maybe don't go for <laughs> it. But, you know, there's generally some flexibility in there about getting the right fit and the right person as well. Obviously, this matters in sort of how technical the job is. Yeah. So the essential criteria, say for a doctor, you know, you need to have obviously that mm. professional, that technical expertise. Mm. That's going to be a different sort of game. But, you know, in, in jobs um, that don't require that sort of technical expertise and you know, management's a good mm. example where there's a lot you can learn yeah. um, as you go and you can sort of do independent study in those experiential sort of learning as well, where I sort of think even if you don't quite fit all of the criteria, you fit kind of most of it, but you've got passion, mm. go for it anyways. Great, great tips. <laughs> <laughs> what has been some of your uh, like strategy to just keep going on, uh, even though sometimes you feel like, oh, this is, um, you know, pulling you back a little bit, or there's some difficult circumstances at work. What, what has been your attitude when it came to? Yeah, I think for me, um, one, having a, a debrief outside of work is useful, mm. and somebody who you're who you're happy to go to quite openly, whether it's a mentor or a partner mm. or, you know, whoever that is that is also willing to um, sometimes challenge your assumptions and your thinking, but okay. it, in a positive way. I think yeah. that's useful because it helps to kind of reframe things. So mm. there's a challenge at work or if you're finding you're getting overly um, negative, perhaps, you mm. know, having somebody sort of challenge that in a gentle way has always helped me mm. over time. And, and I, yeah, and I really enjoy that. Um, I think for me, if I'm uncomfortable with something, learning and increasing my knowledge base always pays 
dividends because to me that's where my confidence comes from is mm. having more knowledge behind me so if I'm feeling like there's a challenge at work that <laughs> I'm really feeling daunted by then you know I'll go away and do a lot of reading or talk to people or whatever I yeah. can to increase my confidence around that and usually that means increasing my knowledge around that particular subject. Yeah no that's a good attitude to take because I think um, sometimes it, a few things can be blown out of um, out of proportion at work because um, I think there's a lot going on at the moment in terms of you know Asian representation more diversity mm. but I think in most circumstances a lot of people are actually quite understanding so perhaps it's just a, a, a little bit of misunderstanding from their unconscious bias yeah. which I think like the leadership team um, should be advocating to them say hey you know this is what we need to watch out for but I think the majority of the cases when you work with people in a strange environment settings yeah. they're actually good people it's yeah. just about um, being you know uh, it's a pull in, uh, it's like a um, what would you say it's like both sides have to give a little sometimes yeah, yeah. yeah. if there's some sort of um, uh, corrosion I suppose in the relationship yeah absolutely mm. and I think it's important for organizations to think about culture yeah. as well like how do we set up a culture that's supportive mm. of you know diversity and I don't that's mean right. just diversity as in ethnicities but diversity in terms of different ways of thinking yes because you know that actually does raise the competency of the organization mm. so I like working with people who sort of go yeah, have you thought about it that way? As long as I do it in a nice yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that don't necessarily... Of, you're wrong. You should think this way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it's, that's also better than just mm. people who agree, just because, you know, mm. you're um, sort of, quote unquote, leader in a yeah. formal sort of leadership position. I still like when people sort of go, yeah, but I don't, you know, I don't see it that way or I think it could be done better a different yeah. way. I, you know, I enjoy that. Yeah. So would you say you're more of an extroverted uh, kind of person in the workplace or an introverted kind of person? Like you would actually give your um, opinion or, or give your take? Because apparently um, at the moment there's this debate about people who are more introverted don't like to say too much during meetings, but they like to have um, off-site conversations later on. And apparently that's seen as a bit of a, you know, weakness for their leadership positions. Yeah. 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 How did you cope with all this? Oh, look, I'm mm. I'm extroverted now. I wasn't mm. when I was younger. I was a very mm. introverted person. But I think, you know, um, I think what leadership needs to do is set up opportunities for people to have their say and voice their opinions in different ways. So, yes, some people are going to be more comfortable one-to-one, -one, and that's okay. Mm. Um, and certainly other people are going to be happy in, you know, comfortable in a group setting to say something but I think it's sort of recognizing that that again that's all about diversity and mm. going it is okay to have people you know who want to voice their opinion or whatever in different ways yeah. um, and and you know likewise if, if you're putting forward say um, a proposal to your team it's useful to not just talk about it verbally but give people a document that they can review and some mm. people will prefer to do that and come with you know some prepared thoughts mm. and some people will be more comfortable on the fly responding to a presentation so I think it's just accounting for the fact that people have different styles um, and you know that that's going to be part of any team that you work with and to accommodate that. Yeah, that's right. Just acknowledging that not everyone thinks uh, in the centric, centric way that you, you've been thinking. Um, it's, it's, I think some organizations uh, uh, fail to see this, this, this side that, you know, there are people who work really well um, off the side looking at documents first before they come in and provide um, their opinion pieces or perhaps they would like to write something in and then elaborate. Yeah. 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 And I think society mm. has 
this um, misunderstanding of what eccentric and, mm. you know, or I should say introverted and extroverted actually mean. Mm. So there's this thought that, you know, extroverted is gregarious and natural mm. leaders, but I don't think that's the case at all. And it's really not about mm. how outgoing you are. So there's some, you know, very competent people who are introverted and, you know, they can deliver amazing presentations and stand up and do great work. So, you know, that sort of concept of being introverted and not being able to say mm. something in a group is false. And I think we don't sort of, we, we make a lazy association sometimes between those things. I know. And I think we also make the associate, association with introverts is that maybe some introverts uh, they just like to collect all the information mm. first. They want to listen to everyone's um, opinions, perspectives, look at what the uh, research, look at all the uh, pieces before they draw up their own opinion about something that they feel that is going to be more concrete than um, providing um, you know, recommendations here and then having to change it without thinking about consequences from there. So there's that kind of people out there as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. which are good part of the team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you want those people yeah. that are able to take it away, think about it, you yeah. know, have some deep thought around yeah. whatever you're, you're proposing. <laughs> yeah. Extroverted, impulsive people. That's interesting too. <laughs> <laughs> and going from there, um, so has COVID-19 impacted your um, particular sector? So I think the answer is yes. It's going to remind you that I work in healthcare. <laughs> That's right. And, and then um, the NGO in particular, like how have you guys changed or uh, is it for the better, is it for worse or are you yeah. on to, or you're pivoting? <laughs> well, no, we haven't pivoted too much. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a bit of a mixed bag in the sense of there's some aspects of COVID-19 where, you know, um, there's a whole... It, companies had to move their employees to mm. remote working arrangements. Most of our staff actually work from home and they have for quite a number of years because we're a small company and we've got staff across Australia. Yeah. So working from home has been quite a, a routine thing that our team has done. There's only been a few people that have been new to that experience. Um, so there's changed too much. So, so, you know, that aspect <laughs> of it hasn't changed. And, and what's been good about um, sort of the, the normality of working, everyone working from home now is that we've actually put in things like we do monthly a virtual cup of tea as a group. So we all catch up, oh, nice. you know, over, um, we use Teams, Zoom or whatever you want to use, but it's that sort of video conference with mm. a cup of tea and we just have a chat. And often you end up having a chat about work because it is work colleagues, yeah. but we also have a chat about other things that are happening in our lives. And so it's allowed us to sort of come together as a mm. team in a remote way, which although quite a few of us work remotely, for you know the last sort of five six seven years we hadn't done that before for so this mm. has really sort of facilitated that particular exchange yeah um from more of i guess a business side of things we you know when sort of the, the sort of impact of um coronavirus hit i guess beginning of the year mm. we saw a couple of contracts cancelled but more of what we saw was a lot of contracts having um a lot of delays Mm -hmm. And so, you know, complete changes to timelines, major delays has an impact on cash flow because often, yes. you know, sort of uh, there's milestone payments upon deliverables that are getting pushed out. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of having to manage cash flow, reduce expenditure. The other side of it was um, around, you know, sort of the end of the financial year is typically when we acquire a 
a lot of new business mm. and that completely dried up oh, so no. yeah so it's been tough okay. um but you know the team's been amazing we've reduced all hours um the job keeper payments have been hugely helpful mm. and it's good to see that they're continuing at some level so that's been fantastic and in fact we hadn't even budgeted for them going forward so you know that'll be nice to sort of um see that sort of continue through to march um but yeah a lot of work to reduce expenditure and luckily a very flexible and mm. um you know awesome to be honest team yeah. <laughs> they've just been absolutely incredible in sort of their approach to it all so in a way coronavirus has um spiked a at the dif a different side of healthcare, so something that's going to be more focused on action as opposed to thinking about how can we improve efficiency. So is that what's happened instead? Well, look, I mean, I think initially, yeah, from yeah. March through till sort of May, there was the response with disaster management, really. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we work a lot with general practices. They're more worried about just delivering yeah. care. Um, the intermediary yeah. organizations that we work with, you know, they're more concerned about delivering personal protective equipment mm. to general practices. You know, this sort of systems-based approach and, and um, quality improvement takes a backseat at yeah. those times. Um, which, you know, is understandable. And I think Australia put a lot of effort into making sure that the front lines of health were resourced, mm. that there was equipment and things like that, which is good because, you know, we're not in the stage of some countries of being on the edge of running out of, you know, um, hospital beds and, yeah. and masks and all those things. So it, it was good to set it up, but it was a disaster response yeah. um, that organizations haven't had to do before. So, you know, that really did take the focus away from the type of work that we do. Yeah. Uh, it'd be nice to think that, you know, subsequent waves, which um, are more than likely mm. that, that we don't have that same response because we actually have set up some systems and, and processes to make sure that we're actually able to manage that better going forward. Yeah, because the, the thing that's coming out of the um, WHO as well as the Australian government is that uh, this is the new normal that we should be trying to get used to, that yeah. this sort of uh, pandemic, or maybe at the lesser level, or it could be more later on, um, this coronavirus could be evolving. Um, this is what we have to get used to. And so in that way, the healthcare system um, is always going to be at a drain now because its its shift will be focusing on coronavirus where there has not been enough time for healthcare workers to be trained up. Yeah. 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 And I think what some organizations have done is set up um, units within their organization. Mm. So they've had a disaster um, response unit, mm. then they've had a business as usual unit. And those okay. organizations have done well because they've been able to sort of focus and mm. keep their eye on their sort of long term mm. sort of um, mission as yes. well as going, well, we need to deal with this urgency yeah. right now. So there's different ways. And, and I think there's obviously going to be lots of learnings that are required, not only from Australia, but internationally around, yes. you know, what works um, with these sort of pandemics. Pandemics. Yeah. Uh, we'll see more of you, pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> they said even um, people who have uh, caught COVID-19 and, you know, uh, survived it in a way, yeah. uh, it keeps coming back. So it's mutating and it's coming yeah. as something completely different that yeah, a vaccine would not be able to cure. Yeah, know, because cure, it, but, yeah. it, yeah. And I think we saw this, um, I don't know, the the, the details of it from like a biological response, but I think, you know, HIV vaccination was really difficult. It's been really mm. difficult because of the mutation. It's been mm. so quick. And so, yeah, that's the problem with viruses that mutate quickly is that you can't get a vaccine done easily. So <laughs> As um, we have seen, it might take at least two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially uh, clinical trials. Yeah. yeah, well, apparently the um, 
the fastest vaccine that was ever produced, um, you know, through mm. to sort of making it available, I believe, was um, the mumps at about four years, I think was the fastest to date that we've done. Wow. So two years cutting in half <laughs> <laughs> would be pretty amazing. I mean, I think we're obviously at a different place. The information mm. exchange globally yes. is different. Yeah. Um, and we've obviously internationally put so much money and resources into Enjoy. developing yeah. a, a coronavirus vaccine. So we will be able to reduce that time. But, um, you know, having it would be pretty tremendous, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And last but not least, could you have imagined your life any different to this when you were studying in Canada? <laughs> oh my gosh, well, I never thought I'd be living in Australia. It was like never on my radar. Or doing a recording with your dog yeah. in the studio. <laughs> and Captain Bagrat. Give him a hug. Give him a hug. He's got warm, cuddly eyes. I'll give him a big hug. Other guests have said other things about him. I know, I know. And I don't believe it for a second. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, never imagined Australia, hey? <laughs> no, it wasn't on my radar at all. I mean, and yeah, it's been fantastic living here. So I've been here since 2004. So yeah, well and truly. You're an Aussie. You're um, an Aussie. Well and truly definitely. an Aussie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on today. And I hope all the listeners enjoyed all these wonderful tips about how to uh, escalate your career as well as a, <laughs> from an Asian uh, a female point of view yeah and also how the health industry is definitely the place that you want to be in I guess right now and for probably the foreseeable future it's it's never without its challenges and uh, yeah a lot of great work that's done in healthcare yeah excellent yeah. well now we're off to go and get some dinner because uh, this yes. is why we're, I'm rushing it <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much Mia thanks Madam Chan <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. For the latest updates and kooky posts, follow us at Captain Bagrat on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you love it as much as Captain Bagrat and we do, please support us with likes and shares. If you're really digging Captain Bagrat, it does cost us a bit to produce, and we really appreciate donations and in-kind contributions via Patreon or however you like. I mean, we will never say no to be a sponsorship. Your support will bring us one step closer to having our own TV show one day and to live broadcast it from the heart of downtown Chinatown. Solid.